Good morning. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today as we continue our series called Joyful. This is week 14 in this series. We're just taking a slow walk through the book of Philippians together. And uh, hey, before we, we get into the, to the passage today, i got to address something real quick. Last week when I was preaching, I had glitter on my face <laughs> and nobody told me. So just so we have the rule set forward... If I'm ever up here preaching with glitter on my face, you have my utmost permission to stop me in the middle of the service and say, hey, you look like a supermodel or something. I don't know. All right. After service, like 10 people came up. Did you know you had glitter on your face? You had glitter on your face? No, I didn't. I was wondering why you were laughing at me the whole time. Goodness gracious. Philippians chapter 2. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word. We're going to read verses 12 and 13 today as Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, a church he loved dearly, and we've seen that this past several weeks. And starting in verse 12, Paul writes these words, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this day, Father, that we are able to gather freely as a church to lift high the name of Jesus. That's why we are here. God, now as we walk through these couple verses in your word together, Lord, we pray that your spirit would freely move among us. Father, give us ears to hear from you this morning, hearts to receive your word. And Jesus, may we live out the truth of the gospel the rest of this week. God, equip us to do that by your power for the name of Jesus alone. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. As I was reading this passage uh, these past several days, I was reminded of a question we were often asked as children. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I started thinking back through me personally what my answers to that question were. As a very young child, maybe between five and seven years old, my answer to the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, was always, I wanted to be a Marine. And the only reason that was, if you all remember the classic commercials, the few, the proud, the Marine, and you'd see that Marine standing on top of a mountain by himself in his his uniform, and he had a sword. And as a five-year-old, I thought to myself, my goodness, any career where I can end up with a sword is a career I want to get into. I grew up just a little bit more, seven, eight, nine years old. I had convinced myself I was going to be Peter Pan when I grew up, and I'd practice every day flying, and we're not going to get into those stories. It shifted a little bit further into my early teen years where I decided I was going to be a professional basketball player because I have the build for it, obviously, as you all note that. And if you know anything about my athletic ability, obviously, that was a terrible career choice. Then I decided I got a little bit realistic with myself. I wanted to be an accountant. Mid-college career, I was going to be a math teacher until I flunked out of college. And then in my early 20s, God and his just divine sense of humor to this day, I still do not fully understand why the Lord allows me to do what I do. But God called me and he gave me a dream to be a pastor, specifically to be a church planter. What did you want to be when you grew up? And what's fun for me thinking about that question is uh, I often ask myself that same question in my walk with Jesus. 
And that's really what Paul, I think, is challenging us with this morning. As you grow up and mature and continue to progress in your walk with Jesus, what do you want to be when you grow up? Who is Jesus calling you to be in the next five years? What is Jesus calling you to do in your spiritual maturity in the next 10 years? Who do you want to be when you grow up as a follower of Jesus? And from that question, the broader question that Paul poses to us in verses 12 and 13 here, and I think this is important to answer that question of what do I want my Christian maturity to look like over these next several years as long as the Lord allows me uh, to walk with him while I'm still alive. But the broader question is this, is what's my role in my spiritual maturity and what's God's role in my spiritual maturity? In verse 12, Paul gives us some insight into our role into this. But then we also have to ask the question, what is God's role in this entire spiritual maturity process for you and I? Uh, A quick review. Last week, we ended uh, in verse 11 of chapter 2, a several week discussion on this topic of humility. And we said that as a church, that we believe that God is calling us to be a unified body of Christ to move the mission forward of helping people find and follow Jesus. That's why Living Hope Columbus exists. And that only comes when we exercise humility as Jesus followers. And so we said from verses 5 to 11, Paul just kind of Jesus jukes us. And he says, look, I've told you to be a humble follower of Christ. Now I'm telling you to look to Jesus as the ultimate example of what humility looks like. Not only that he came as a servant, came as a man, but he humbly died on a cross. And then what did God do with him last week? He exalted him to the highest and loftiest position in all of the universe. Now we get to verse 12. And Paul says, now we've spent so much time on humility and developing that character quality as a a follower of Christ. Now I want you to continue in your spiritual maturity, not just in humility, but in a broader sense of just growing into Christ-likeness, maturing as Jesus followers. But what's interesting to me here is in verses 12 and 13, they almost seem like opposing thoughts. They almost seem like opposing ideas that Paul presents to us here. And I want to explain these briefly, what I'm talking about, and then we're going to look at these a little bit more in depth on a few things. This divine mystery is present here in verse 12, where we see the free will of human beings present. And then in verse 13, we see the sovereignty of God present. Now, if you have any past experience with theology, um, you know that these have always been competing ideologies in the scriptures. One that men and women for generations have tried to reconcile together. And when we do that, we end up confusing ourselves more or we jump into some theological camp that turns us into a weirdo. All right, we don't want to do that this morning. Here's all that we need to understand today when it comes to God's sovereignty. If you don't know what that means, it means he's in control of all things all the time, forever and ever and ever. And then this idea of free will, it means that God created us to be rational, thinking, decision-making human beings on this earth. God orchestrates everything, yet we choose everything at the exact same time. How does that work together, Pastor Aaron? I don't know. And we don't need to know. The scriptures don't tell us how it all works together. So let's tie this back to spiritual growth, and then we're going to look at these more in depth. Is, are you in charge of your spiritual growth according to the scriptures? Yes, you are completely in charge. Is God completely in charge of your spiritual growth according to the scriptures? Yes, he is completely in, con- in control. So how do these work together? I don't know. Aren't you glad you showed up today? <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, we're going to try to figure this out together. They work together, but they're competing thoughts. And I think the scripture will give us some, some insight into these. So number one, if you're a note taker, here's what we need to understand here. We need to understand outward responsibility. Outward responsibility. Look at verse 12 with me again. Paul says, dear friends, that's a term of endearment. That's, uh, Paul is very close to the Philippians. He loves them well. My, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so Paul is giving them some encouragement here. Man, you guys have done wonderful in following after Jesus. Now, not only in my presence, what does he say? Even more in my absence to do something. Work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. What does that really mean? Before we look at that, I want to make some, some clarifying statements here. Notice that Paul does not say work for your salvation. That has been a misinterpretation of this verse that we have to be so cautious of. And you're like, well, I understand that. I want to make sure we're clear on this. Paul does not say work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. And there is a stark contrast here that if we don't understand this, we run into some, some really deep, bad theology as followers of Jesus. You cannot work for your salvation. That is a spiritual impossibility. Are we clear on that? Romans 6 says that we are dead in our sin, and the only reason that we have a relationship with God is because He is gracious and merciful to us, where He voluntarily died for us to forgive a sin debt that we could not pay because we are dead. Our only hope is the intervening grace of Jesus in our lives. We believe that very strongly at Living Hope Columbus. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 with me. The, the scriptures talk about this all over the place, but this one specifically. Paul says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And here's our, our, our phrase here. It's not from yourselves. You didn't have anything to do with it. It's God's gift to you, not from works. Why? Because God doesn't want you to boast about it. You brought nothing to the table with your salvation. If you're a Christ follower today, it's only because Jesus is merciful to you and I. That's the only reason we can follow after him. Salvation is not something we work for. Instead, Paul says, you need to work out. Think of it this way. I, I'm not a teacher. If you're a teacher, I'm sorry if this upsets you a little bit. Um, before they changed math, I loved math. I used to be really good at it. Math used to be something you did with numbers. Now you do it with pictures. I don't understand it, but they've changed it. But I remember when I first learned math, and you started to learn to do um, multiplication and long division. And one of these echoing statements that my teacher said all the time, and I'm sure you heard this, this too, Show your work, show your work, show your work. No matter how simple or complex the problem was, even if you know the answer without doing all the work, that was always the phrase, show your work, show your work, show your work. So every time they gave you this, this math sheet and it had all these long division and multiplication on there, what did you have to do? You had to show your work. When Paul says this term here, work out, that's that math term. It's this term that means i got to show my work to bring something to completion. I have to put forth sustained effort because I'm working towards a final goal. So what does that mean for you and I when it comes to our spiritual growth? Are you ready for this? It means that your spiritual growth falls on your shoulders. The, the scriptures call... Now, some of you all are freaking out right now. Chill with me. Just chill for a minute. I promise this is going to make sense. It means that we have to put forth sustained, intentional effort to grow into Christ-likeness. I wrote that down about three years ago, and I paused, and I looked at that statement, and I thought to myself, is that true? 
Is my spiritual growth really on my shoulders? Is this something that I'm responsible for? Because traditionally, when we think of growing into Christ-likeness, there's this big movement among Christians right now where it is just completely dependent upon God's transformative activity in your life and in my life. Is that true? Yes. But the scriptures also teach that equally true, just as true as that, is that you and I have a responsibility personally to grow into Christ-likeness. Let me prove this to you a couple other places in scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it'll be on our screen. Paul says that, don't you know that the runners in a stadium, they all race, but only one receives the prize. Then what does he say? Run in such a way to receive a prize. Paul points us to intentional effort that we have to take to run the race as Christians. If I'm going to pursue Jesus, it takes effort on my part. Jump down to verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 9. Look at this. Paul says in in the verse before that, verse 26, that instead of just running aimlessly or shadow boxing, what does he do? Paul says, I discipline my body. I bring my body under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Again, what's he pointing us to? That there is an intentional effort on my part to grow into Christ-likeness. Let me give you another one here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. We'll look at this in a couple months. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Instead, what's he doing? Reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue As my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm chasing after Christ. If I'm going to grow into Christ's likeness, it's going to take effort on my part. Personal effort growing into Christ's likeness, becoming like Jesus. And again, we hear that. And sometimes we're like, yeah, but it just doesn't sit right. Isn't God in charge of all of this? God needs to do the work in me. Yes, you do too. Let me give you a ridiculous illustration. If you're new here, we do this a lot. Let's imagine that you go home this afternoon, you sit down on the couch with your your spouse or your roommate or whatever your situation is, your grandma, I don't know, and you're sitting there and you look at at your grandma and you say, you know what, grandma? I want to get healthy. I think this week is going to be my journey towards health. So you set a goal. You're going to lose 25 pounds in the next three months. That's your goal. You're going to get healthy. You have a goal you're striving towards. That's what you're working towards. That's what you're going to achieve. Well, later that evening, the afternoon has passed. It's evening. Your your kids have been put down to bed. You're sitting there on a a couch again, and you're standing there watching TV. And when your your grandma walks in, and she says, what are you watching? You say, I'm watching this new documentary on Netflix about health and the importance of eating certain foods for the benefit of your health. And then a couple minutes later, you're sitting there and you're scrolling on your phone and your grandma says, what are you doing? You say, I just downloaded this new food tracking app so I can track every single meal on my phone from the start of my day to the end of my day so I know exactly what I'm consuming. Then a couple minutes later, the printer goes off. She says, what did you just print off? It's my new workout plan. I got this new workout plan off the internet and this thing's going to be wonderful. This is going to help me get in shape, lose my 25 pounds. Then you get this other app up. She says, now what are you doing? I just got my gym membership to LA Fitness. And man, I'm going to start working out tomorrow morning. I've got my gym membership. I've got my workout plan. I know what I'm going to eat. I've got my food tracker going. And then for the last bit, you do Amazon Prime now. And ding dong, two hours later, two hours later, you got a brand new pair of Nikes sitting on your front porch. You are ready to get healthy. Well, eight hours passed. It's now seven o'clock in the morning on Monday, and you're sitting there at the kitchen table, and your grandmother walks down, and you're sitting there with a giant bowl of Fruit Loops. 
you have a large glass of chocolate milk and a pumpkin donut that you just heated up in the microwave for 30 seconds in Jesus' name. <laughs> and right there on that table, as you're sitting there consuming this very nutritious breakfast, your food app is open, your workout plan's laying there, you got your brand new pair of shoes sitting there right in the box, and your gym membership sitting right there. And Grandma says, what are you doing? And you say, I'm just trusting that these things are going to make me healthy eventually. I know they can, and I believe they can. And I'm just trusting that they do a work in me right now to make me a healthy human being. What's the point? It's ridiculous, but just track with me. Information, we know this, without application results in nothing. We, we have to apply things. What if we took that same idea to the spiritual sense? We are bombarded with things Bible all the time. I come weekly and I hear a message from the scriptures. I listen to preachers throughout the week. I do a Bible reading plan. I'm involved in a group. I listen to, to the river. I listen to Air One. It's a little bit better. Right, I listen to Christian music all the time. I'm a podcast junkie when it comes to all things Christian. And I got all of this stuff. And we sit back and we go, I'm just trusting Jesus to do a work in me. And God's going, I gave you all the tools. Do something with them. You see, there's a personal responsibility that we have to take when it comes to our spiritual growth as followers of Christ. Hey, let me make a clarifying statement here too before we move on to verse 13. There is a personal responsibility and there's a God responsibility to our spiritual growth. We'll see in just a second. But I want us to also understand that at the end of time, whenever Jesus calls you home, that he will take all responsibility for your spiritual growth. The scripture does say that eventually God will transform you into his likeness. Eventually it all does rest on his shoulders. But in his sovereignty, he invites you to be part of the process now. Let me show you the scripture. I think this is important. 1 John 3 verse 2. John writes these words, we're God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when Jesus appears, what will happen? We will be like him because we will see him as he is. John reminds us someday when Christ comes back for his church or we enter into his presence that we will be just like him. He will transform us into his likeness. We will be made perfect yet again because of what Jesus did on the cross for us Philippians 1, verse 6, we looked at this several weeks ago. I'm sure of this, that Jesus, who started a good work in me, will do what? He'll bring it to completion, carry it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. You see, it begs the question then, um, if it all ultimately depends on God, why do I have to do anything? Couldn't I just sit around doing what I want to do because God is just going to resolve it all in the end and someday he will form me completely into the image of his son? No. You say, well, why? Why do I have to do anything? You ready for this? This frustrates me and it's going to frustrate you. Because God said so. Does that make sense? Do I have to do anything in my spiritual growth? Technically, no. Because God's going to do it. But should I? Yes. Why? Because he told me to. The creator of the universe invited me to be part of the process. That's awesome. I remember when my dad was working on projects around the house growing up, fixing things in the sink, replacing light bulbs, building sheds. Could he do it himself? My goodness, yes. Did he need me to be part of the process? Nope, but he invited me into it, and that was incredible. I loved it. My dad invited me to be part of the process, and that's what we are invited to as Christ followers. Hey, let's go to our, our second point here. 
Inward transformation. Inward transformation. Look at verse 13 with me again. Paul says this, For it is God working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Verse 12, we are working out our salvation. But now in verse 13, God is working in us. Notice this this contrast here. The only reason that I can move towards God in verse 12 is because Jesus is working in me in verse 13. In verse 13, God's doing a supernatural work in my life that allows me in verse 12 to move towards him as a follower of Christ. Isn't that amazing when we read that? I read that. I was reminded of John 15. You remember the, uh, the story that Jesus told of the, the parable of the vine? Story of the vine, the vine and the branches. Check this out. John 15, 4. Jesus says, remain in me and I in you. He's talking to his disciples and to us. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, what does he say? Neither can you do anything unless you remain in me. No branch by itself, again, this is so simplistic, but it has just such depth of meaning for the Christian life. No branch by itself can produce fruit. Only branches connected to a main source, a main vine, a main tree, ultimately can produce fruit. Hey, okay, last weekend, my family went apple picking because it's fall and it's chilly and that's what you do. You wear your flannel in the morning and by evening you're in shorts and a t-shirt, right? We love Ohio. And so we went to the apple farm. We go to the apple farm and we're walking through this field. And as I'm walking with my two little girls and my wife, my sister, and my niece, I hear this noise. And it went like this. I thought, what in the world is that? So I brushed it off a minute or two later. I'm thinking, we're in the middle of an apple field. This is not a true story, by the way. Some of you are like, you really heard this? It's aliens. I don't know. But I'm walking through it and I hear minute later, walking down this path, over and over and over for like 15 minutes. And so in this fake story, I walk over to this apple tree. And as I walk up to this apple tree, I get a little bit closer to the tree. And when I get closer, what in the world's going on with this tree? So finally, I look at the tree. I said, I used to be a youth pastor for 10 years. So that's why this, this stuff comes from. So I looked at the tree. And I said, tree, this, this, on paper, this sounded really good. When I say it, I'm like, oh, whoa. So I look at this tree, and I said, hey, tree. I said, why are you making that noise? What are you doing? And the tree says, or the branch says, I'm, tr- I'm trying to produce fruit. So that's kind of weird. So I get a little bit closer, and I hear this branch. So what are you doing? I'm struggling. I'm really, I'm really trying to produce fruit. I'm trying to, as hard as I can, to, to make fruit produce from the end of my, my limbs. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Do we understand? Y'all, some of y'all are like, wow, we shouldn't have, came to, shouldn't have came to living hope today. Obviously exaggerated, made up story. But how ridiculous is that? You never hear a branch struggling and straining to produce fruit from the ends of its limbs. What does it do? A branch stays connected to the, the tree, to a vine. And because of its connection point, it will naturally produce fruit. So let's ask the question, what's the responsibility of the branch on a tree? The responsibility of the branch is to stay connected. What's the responsibility of the the tree trunk or the vine to produce the fruit? You see, my job is the connection. Jesus' job is the fruit. I think a lot of times we mix those up. 
Jesus says, you use the tools and resources I've given you to make sure you stay connected, close to me, intimate with the creator of the universe. And you let me produce the fruit in you. You have a personal responsibility to maintain the connection, but I'm going to take on the responsibility to produce the fruit. Notice what else Paul says in verse 13. Two things God's going to form in you. Two fruits that are going to resolve, uh, result from this. He says, for it is God working in you to both what? To will and to work. When Jesus is doing a spiritual transformative thing in your life, molding you to the image of Jesus, two things will change in you, your will and your work. Let me make sure we're clear on that. When we talk about your will, it means what you want to do will change, how you desire to live life will change, how you think will change. Why? Because the Spirit of God is doing a work from the inside out of your soul. My pastor used to say, before I was a Christian, I wanted to do this. My want to was this. After I got saved, my want to changed. Because Jesus is doing a work in me. Your grip on this earth, the more you fall in love with Christ, begins to lessen more and more. Where you are no longer bound to the things of this planet, but you graciously long for heaven. That's when my will changes. Secondly, he says that your work will change. Literally, that means how I live as a Jesus follower. What I say, what I do, how I act will be changed by Jesus. Why? Because when Jesus shows up someplace, things change. If you got somebody that claims to be a Christ follower and their life looks no different than before they were a Christ follower, Jesus never showed up. Find me one place in the New Testament where Jesus stepped onto the scene and things weren't rattled and changed a little bit. If Jesus dwells in you, how you live will radically be different. So what's the overarching purpose? And we're done. God working in us, but also me working out my salvation. What's the whole purpose? Don't miss this here. Paul says here, for it is God working in you, both to will and to work. Why? According to his good purpose. God works in me. I work out my salvation for one purpose, to give God glory. So that when people see my life, they give God glory. So when they see me, they give God glory. One more illustration how this all works together. We went to a park yesterday, our two girls, eight-year-old and three-year-old. Never been to this park before. My three-year-old, there's this little balance beam deal. And so Colby, my three-year-old, she walks over to this thing, new park. She wanted to try it out. She made it about two steps on this little balance beam, and she fell over. She said, Daddy, help me. So I walked over. I grabbed two of her little hands. And by me holding her hand, she went and she walked all the way across that balance beam. Now think about this. Left to her own devices, could my three-year-old daughter have made it to, from start to finish of that 15-foot balance beam? No, she proved she couldn't. She had no ability to. Her balance is not good enough. Could I, as her father, walked over, scooped her up, said, Daddy's going to do this for you, and I walked on the balance beam for her, and I carried the, her the whole way? Absolutely. But what did I choose to do? I helped her in the process. I grabbed her little three-year-old hands and I walked with her as she walked across the balance beam. That's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. God invites us into the story. Does he have to? No. If it was left up to us to uh, become Christ-like in our own way, in our own will, in our own desires, could we do it? Absolutely not. The scriptures are abundantly clear on that. 
But God is so gracious to us, he invites us to be part of the process with him. And he says, I'm going to form you into the likeness of my son if you are one of mine. But I would love for you to help me in the process. I would love to invite you into this journey with me. And together the divine mystery meets and we get to be part of the spiritual transformative process. It's God moving in me and me working out my salvation with him. Isn't that incredible? Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your, your word. God, I pray that your word would continue to move in us, draw us closer to Jesus. God, give us our deeper resolve and a deeper uh, depth of understanding on the need that we have to chase after Jesus while God also being submissive and humble to the fact, Lord, that you're doing a, a work in us as well. Father, well, thank you for saving me 17 years ago. And how because the work in your spirit is done in me, Lord, that I'm, I'm different. And God, I pray that we never get tired on this spiritual journey, Lord, but we always view it as a privilege and an honor that the creator of the universe has invited us into the process. God, you're so good to us. Thanks for allowing us to gather and worship today. And Jesus, I pray now as we sing that it's a sweet sound in the throne room of heaven as we praise Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.